how many of you guys are maybe still eating some Halloween candy? Show of hands. Couple? Okay. I finished off our Halloween candy, um, I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday, um, and I loved every minute of it. But anyway, uh, this year on Halloween, Mariah, my wife and I, we decided, hey, Let's hang out with our neighbors. Let's hand out Halloween candy together, and let's just have a good time. And so we go over to their place for dinner, and we're sitting there having just a good conversation, and we've got, like, our buckets full of, like, good, rich candy. None of, like, the lame stuff, but we got Reese's. We got Twix. We got Snickers. We got Kit Kats. We got all we, all we, all you could ever want as a kid, right? And we're just kind of patiently waiting for kids to come and knock on our door. Well, we start having some conversations, and uh, a few minutes go by, and then it turns into half hour, then it turns into 45 minutes to an hour, hour 15 minutes, and we're kind of like, where are all the kids at? Our door hasn't been knocked on once. What is happening? What's going on? So we start talking about, well, why why aren't kids coming? And we start thinking through, well, we see them kind of running around all the time, the neighborhood gang with their bikes and everything. And I'm just like, dang, why did they come in? And we kind of start talking, well, why, did, why do kids actually come and knock on our door? How do they know whose door to knock on? The porch light's on. So we're talking and we're like, the porch light has been off the entire time. <laughs> Oh, okay. So we go, we, you know, our neighbor turns the light back on and uh, kind of we're sitting there and we're like, oh, they're definitely coming. They're coming now. I'm excited. I'm like giddy to see little kids in their costumes and stuff and hand out candy Um, because I prepared. We bought the candy. I'm excited to give them this good gift and no one's coming. And throughout the entire night, we only had four groups of trick-or-treaters come. Now, on the inside, I'm secretly really happy about it because that means I get to eat all the candy. Uh, but throughout that whole time, I'm patiently waiting for them to come and knock, to ask, and to find just a really good batch of candy that I'm able to give away. It gets to the point to the end of the night where I'm just like, just take as many as you want. Like, this is a good gift. I got lots to give out. And, and so the kids just start kind of like, oh, yeah. You know, they just grab the big old handfuls. And it's always funny because it's always like the smallest kids who grab the most. Uh, and like the big kids are like, I'll take one. You know, they're really nice. And then the little kids are like, give me the whole bowl. Um, but it, it, throughout the whole time, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I can't believe that kids didn't want to come to our door and knock and ask for candy. Like, the porch light's now on. What, what was going on? Why weren't they coming? And it made me start thinking about Matthew chapter 7 as I'm pondering on this passage and thinking about that Halloween time. And I'm pondering on how Jesus tells us to ask, to seek, and to knock. And as I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, yeah, I had the candy ready. I got a good gift for those kids. I want them to ask, to seek, to knock, to say trick or treat, and I can give them a good piece of candy. And today in God's word, uh, Jesus is telling us to ask, to seek, and to knock, but something that's much better than candy, something that's much better that we could ever truly ask for. And so this morning, our big idea is that our good father gives gifts to transform us to be like him. Big idea for the morning. Our good father gives great gifts to transform us to be like him. We're going to see that in three major movements. So first, we're going to see the guaranteed gift. Then second, we'll see uh, the good giver. And finally, we'll see the golden goal. So if you would open up Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 7 and 8 for us again. Again. 
Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So the first point that we see in the text this morning is the guaranteed gift. Now, as we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, we've been walking through this uh, for several weeks and a couple months now. We're getting to the end where we're wrapping it up. So I want to recap for us a little bit of what we've seen over the last several chapters. Uh, Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount by walking through the Beatitudes. He's sharing what the kingdom looks like and what the kingdom people look like internally. He declares his people to be the salt and the light of the world. He then points them back to the law and he's like, I'm, I'm not doing away with the law. I've come to fulfill the law. And he continues to further explain some of the law, really showing and emphasizing that we had interpreted it wrong the whole time, but that it's an actual inward transformation that happens in our hearts as we continue to have relationships with others. Then in chapter six, Jesus goes on and he continues to talk about this heart posture, pausing to teach us how to pray at the center of the Sermon on the Mount. Now we have a good, amazing father that we have that desires for us to go to him in prayer, that we can commune with him in that way. Then from there, he starts discussing possessions and how we often have anxiety around our possessions, but truly we can look to the God of the universe and know that he gives us all that we need. And last week, Ricky, walked us through another internal examination in terms of sin and how to handle sin within our own hearts and also with our brothers and sisters in the faith. And all of that leads us to where we're at here this morning. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7, on the coattails of a really weird verse about pigs and pearls, uh, Jesus tells us to ask, to seek, and to knock. Verses 7 and 8, if you read them back to back like we just did, they're kind of the same thing. It's just like it's in reverse order almost. So what Jesus is doing is he's saying, hey, pay attention. I have something important to tell you. Listen to the words that I'm saying. Ask, seek, knock, and the door will be opened. And so as I'm sitting here with these verses and I'm pondering on Jesus telling me to ask, he's telling me to seek, he's telling me to knock on the door, I wonder to myself, what do I ask for? Like, what am I supposed to actually be seeking? What type of doors am I supposed to be knocking on, Jesus? What does this mean? It, it is, are you saying that the Father's just going to give us anything that we ask for? Are you saying that if, if I just ask for whatever sort of thing that I want, that you'll give it to me, that it's guaranteed in that way? Well, the second question, what are we supposed to seek, kind of helps me truly find out what is Jesus talking about? When's the last time we heard Jesus use language of seek and find? Seek and find. When's the last time? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, verse 33. Jesus uses very similar language. Uh, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. All these things will be provided for you. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Similar language. And so as I think through this passage and think through verses six and seven, or seven and eight, uh, I'm pondering, man, what is Jesus telling us to look for? He's telling us to look for the kingdom. 
He's telling us to ask for the kingdom of God, to seek the kingdom of God, to knock on the door of the kingdom. It's wide open for us that he's going to give it to us. He's not saying that this is some prosperity gospel that you can just ask for things and he's going to give you whatever you want. He's not saying ask for the nice car, ask for the relationship, ask for the money, ask for the promotion, whatever. And I'm just going to give you absolutely everything. But he's saying, seek first the kingdom. Seek me the king and the kingdom, the one who gave you eternal life. This whole time, Jesus is reminding us to look towards him, to actually see him and fix our eyes on him, not things of the world. So when he says, ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you, he's telling us to ask for the kingdom of God, to seek after the kingdom of God. And then that leads me to ponder the question for myself, What am I personally praying for? Am I actually asking for those things? What does my prayer list really look like? Does it look like the kingdom of God or is it things of this world? Now, I once heard that if you were to write out all your prayers from whether it's your own personal devotional time or whether it's a time at a Bible study or at city group or whatever it is, uh, that if you'd write those out and you'd read them out loud, that it would sound like a doctor's office or a hospital. And often prayer is just us asking for God to heal people. Now that's not a bad thing. We should fervently ask for God to heal the sick. We should beg the Lord that he would continue to do miracles in our lives in that way. But is that all we're asking for? Uh, Are we only asking for those types of things or things of this world, like, Lord, please help me with my finances, help me with these other things that are right before my eyes and our circumstances right there, or are we asking for something internally in our hearts? Are we seeking first the kingdom in, in our own daily lives? Are we begging God to change us internally as he's been telling us throughout the Sermon on the Mount the whole time? We need a heart transformation. Are we asking for that heart transformation? And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Ask me and you will have it. The door will be open. It will be given over to you. This is a guarantee to receive that gift. The gift that our hearts would be changed and transformed through seeking his face, that after pursuing him, that he would give us the righteousness that is his, that he would continue to stir up in our hearts an affection for who he is, a love for who he is. And he's saying, ask, seek, and find, and it will be given to you. He's not saying, I'm going to give you a a fancy new car. He's saying, I want to give you me. I want to give you who I am. I want you to see who I am. And I want to continue to make you more like me. And so what what strikes me is that Jesus doesn't just say, ask and you might get the kingdom, ask and you might get righteousness, ask and you might see these things, but it's guaranteed. If you seek after the things of the kingdom of God, God will answer your prayers in a yes and amen. He guarantees that you will get that gift. It is certain, it's a, not, it's a check that cannot be bounced. God will transform us when we ask him for it, when we beg him to continue to move in our lives. Have, have you guys ever seen the State Farm commercials with Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, right? If you're watching football today, you're more than likely to see some of those commercials. But Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, they have this deal with the State Farm guy, uh, Jake from State Farm, and um, they, they have like this discount that they get from them. Patrick calls it the Patrick Price, and Aaron calls it the Rogers rate. And they're kind of confused because uh, they have a discount from State Farm 
and then they find out that everybody else can get the discount too, that everybody gets it if they go to State Farm and ask. And they're kind of frustrated because they're like, oh, everybody gets it? What's so special about it then? Why do I call it the Rogers rate or the Patrick Price kind of a thing? And they're annoyed by it. But as I think of that, the, the discount from State Farm is like guaranteed. But we have something so much better from our Heavenly Father that's guaranteed. We have something so much better than a Rogers rate or, or a Patrick Price guarantee on a discount on some insurance that might help us for a little bit. But we have a guarantee to seek after the kingdom of God, and God will continue to transform our lives. He will point us towards eternity. He will break into this world and bring the kingdom here for us to be changed and to see Jesus in more and beautiful ways, to be filled by the Spirit of God, and to be just in absolute awe of the miraculous God that we have. We have something so much better. Jesus is saying, if you seek the kingdom, if you want me, if you want actual transformation, it's guaranteed. Come and find me. You will receive my goodness and my mercy. Knock at my door and I will open it for you to come and to dine with me for the rest of days. God is not holding out on us. And I think there's times where we read these verses and we're asking for things in our life and we think God might be holding out on us. There are real moments where we're begging God for different things in our world and in our circumstances and in our life. And we're asking God to do these things. We're like, Lord, you told me, ask, seek, knock. I'm asking you for it. Why aren't you giving it to me? Friends, God is not holding out on you by any sort of means. He's telling us to seek his face, to search for the kingdom of God. And Jesus himself has given us the greatest gift that we ever need. He's given us the ultimate gift in himself, everlasting life with him. He sacrificed his life so that we could be in relationship with him, to see him, to have glory just poured out right before our eyes for all of eternity. That's the greatest gift we could ever receive. And if we never received anything else more from Jesus at all, past the point of our salvation, we still have everything we ever need. Because the thing that we need most is him. And Jesus says, I'm right here. Come and knock at my door. I will open it every moment that you ask me to just come into my house and to have everlasting life with me. And sometimes we just really don't believe that. And I think it's because we often think little of how God views us. But if you go back again to chapter six, we talked about it two weeks ago, verses 25 to 31, it communicates to us. It tells us that God values us so much more than the birds of the sky. God values us so much more than the wildflowers of the field, that he cares for us so much. And so when we seek first the kingdom of God, we can trust that God truly values, cares for us, loves us. And that's why we can trust him to fulfill his promise that when we ask, seek, and knock, he will answer. That it is guaranteed that we could have the greatest gift in searching after him and pursuing righteousness and asking him to continue to transform our hearts and our lives as he's been telling us this is what we need to do. This is what the kingdom of God does. This is who he is and how he transforms us and how we look different than the rest of the world. How the kingdom of God looks different than the rest of the world. Because he changes us from the outside in, not from the physical things of the world that we may be asking for. But Jesus is so much better than anything we could ever imagine or think of. Now, I don't know about you guys, but asking for things is is tough at different times. 
You know, we live in a Midwest blue collar, pull up everything by your bootstraps and just do it yourself kind of a, a lifestyle, right? That's the, that's the world we kind of live in. And so asking people for help can be quite difficult. And I personally struggle asking for help. I really wrestle with asking for, I'll only ask people for help if I can trust them in what they're doing. Like if I could hand it off and say, okay, they're going to do it as good as me or better than me, then I'll, then I'll let them do it. But if I have any sort of doubt um, that I think I could do it better because I want control and I think I'm amazing, like I, I just won't hand it off. It has to be a trustworthy person for me to hand something off in that sort of way. And as I think about actually asking for help and asking God to change me, there are moments where I don't ask him because I don't think he can and I think I can. There are moments where I go, nope, I don't need you, God. I'm not gonna pray and ask you to help me in my humility because I, I can be more humble. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> no, Lord, I, I'm not gonna ask you to continue to point me towards your truth and actually lean on you because I just wanna lean on myself. I wanna show how strong I am. I wanna show how firm I am. No, but to Seek first his face, to run after him and to ask him to transform the inner parts of who I am, that I would be able to trust him and to give everything over to him. He is a trustworthy God that as I look at the sin in my life, I I want to be able to hand it over to him and to actually see transformation, that that gift is guaranteed, that he will change me, that he will pursue me, that he will continue to give me a new heart each and every single day as I go to him and ask and if you're struggling with this thought and you're just like, Lord, man, Alex, Alex, you don't get it. I've been asking God to get rid of this sin for years. I've been begging God that he would do away with that for countless months. And it still isn't gone. It still isn't just completely wiped away. And sometimes we don't understand what God's doing in those moments. And this is where the family of God comes in. This is where he's given us each other to completely share that stuff with and to be held accountable and to continue to pursue Jesus together in these ways. But at the same time, we have a good God who's guaranteed those gifts. Now, if it's, if it's things of the world that we think we need, God himself isn't going to give us something that we don't need. And we'll see that later on. But as you're praying and begging Jesus that he would change your heart, man, I want to ask you, does, do your prayers look like the Sermon on the Mount? Or do they look like something much different? And what I mean by that is if there's something in your heart that you're trying to actually walk towards righteousness or walk towards Jesus in, do your prayers like actually look like that? If you were to write them out, write them down. Are you asking for physical things to just change your circumstances? Are you asking for God to change you on the inward being? Do your prayers look like, God, I don't trust you. I don't want you. Or I don't actually think that you want to give me good gifts. Lord, would you make my heart believe that you hear my prayers? God, I'm struggling with humility. Would you make my heart believe that you could make me more humble? Lord, I really don't think that I can go and be the light of the world, and I don't believe that you're going to actually change somebody's life if I just share the gospel with them. Would you make my heart believe that you can actually do that? Lord, I'm struggling with 
anger towards this person and I don't even want them to be forgiven and I want them to absolutely not receive any sort of mercy, Jesus, would you make my heart believe that they deserve or that they don't deserve mercy, but that you can give mercy just like you gave it to me? Do our prayers actually look like the Sermon on the Mount? Because oftentimes our prayer list is about everything happening around us and about something someone else is that something that's happening in somebody else's life. But does our prayer life actually have to do with us personally, internally? Are we asking God to change us? Are we seeking his face that that we would be able to find release from some sin in our lives? Are we knocking on the door, begging fervently that Jesus, I want you to continue to show me your glory, just like Moses begged him? Because God continues to work in these moments and to show us that he is so much better, like we sang just a little bit ago. So why do we pray this way? Why do we ask God these types of things? Why can we truly trust him for these reasons? Why do we knock at the door? Why can we believe all of that? Well, let's keep reading verses 9 to 11. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So here Jesus begins to contrast two fathers, the heavenly father and the earthly father. He gives us these two illustrations, and in verses 9 and 10, it's the illustration of an earthly dad who's got this son who's asking him for bread. He's asking him for fish, for food, something to eat. He's hungry. And even like the worst parents in the world want to feed their children. They have a love for their children to feed them in that way. And now clearly the father isn't just going to give them a snake or a stone. He's not going to give them something terrible, but he wants to actually give them something that's going to provide for them. I mean, even us as humans, right? Kid comes and asks you, hey, can I have all of my Halloween candy tonight? You're probably not going to say, yeah. The kid's going to end up with diabetes before he's 20 if you do. Um, uh, Or look like me when I was in fifth grade because I ate all my Halloween candy. Um, You guys got to see the picture. I was pudgy. Um, Oh, little bowling ball. Um, uh, Thanks, Lord, for making me grow tall. Um, But anyway, uh, when I was a kid, my mom, even to this day, my mom tells me all the time, she says, you'll never understand. You'll never understand how much I love you until you have a kid yourself. You'll never understand the love that I have for you until you have your own kid. Now as our baby's in the womb and bacon in the oven, and uh, I'm like eagerly waiting for our child to be here in just a couple of months, I start to understand it a little bit more. I'm starting to understand that my love and affection for my kid, I'm like, I would never want to give them a bad gift. I would always want to do what's best for them. I always just want to give them food if they're hungry or water if they're thirsty. Uh, Of course, I would want to care for my child in that way. And then in verse 11, Jesus starts to contrast this. He contrasts it with the Father in heaven. And he says something bold uh, to the earthly parent. He says, Jesus, Jesus says, you are evil. You are evil. Like he just flat out kind of says it to them. 
Even the evil parent wants to give good gifts to their children. So how much more would the Father in heaven want to give good gifts to his children? Sure, we're able to do good things for people. We're able to love them and have this compassion for them. And even as I think of my child, I have this just absolute affection for that little baby in the womb. But I can guarantee you, in a couple of months, when that baby's screaming his head off at two in the morning, I'm going to get real selfish. And I'm going to be like, man, I just won't. You can cry. I'm going to sleep. I'm not putting up with it. Or a couple years later, when they're a toddler and we're walking through the store and they see a piece of candy and they want it real bad, I'm going to be like, "Mm, nope. One time David, when he preached, he was like, just punt the kid. Um, (laughs) I don't understand it yet, but I'm sure I will in a couple of years. (laughs) And those are the moments where it really makes me think, man, I have such a love for my child, and I haven't even seen them face to face yet. How much more does God care for them? How much more does God care for me? How much more does God care for you? That he desires to give you a good gift. And the good gift we already covered is himself. It's the kingdom of God. It's heart transformation, everlasting life. And now he's showing us how good he really is. The heavenly father is that much greater. He's so good because he's created the universe. He's made all things. God's glory is so great that it reaches far beyond the Milky Way galaxy. That he's the creator of the entire world that when he spoke, life came into existence. And that same big everlasting, eternal, good God values you, cares for you, looks to you with absolute love and desires for you to have good gifts, desires for you to have a relationship with him. That good, big, holy, perfect, compassionate God, all loving, deeply desires for us to be able to go and to ask him for things. And when we think about this, it reframes our mind to actually see that our father knows better than we do. Our father knows much better than we do. I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely love receiving gifts. It's my number two on love language. First one's words of affirmation. Second one's gifts. So it's up there. I absolutely love when people get me gifts, but I'm also extremely picky So when my wife gets me a gift, this is not something that's ever happened, by the way, it gets me a gift and uh, she's really thought about it. No, thinks I'm going to love it. I get, I'm really picky. If I didn't tell her, hey, this is exactly what I want, like the exact model, color, everything. And she gets me a gift that she just really loves and thinks I'm going to be blown away by. And I like and grab it and I'm like, oh, this is great. And it's not like at all what I wanted. I typically like wrestle with myself because I go, oh man, it's not a good gift. (laughs) This has never happened, remember. Um, (laughs) And so I, on the one hand, don't think it's a good gift. But 
she, on the other hand, thinks it's an amazing gift. I mean, she's well thought, everything, so much love put into it, and she gives it to me. She thinks it's going to be a great gift. She thinks I'm going to light up everything. And it's almost like, who gets to decide whether the gift is good or not? It's almost this kind of thing like it's in the eye of the beholder kind of a thing, right? She thinks it's going to be a great gift, and me leading up to it thought it was going to be a great gift, and then we're both kind of like, ah, uh, we both think different things here. Okay, Uh, let's keep walking and ask Jesus for help. And in those moments, we kind of have to start to go, oh, who truly decides what a good gift is? And as we think of Matthew chapter 7, and he's talking about the good gifts to give us. Who's the one who decides really what the good gift is? The Father in heaven. He's the creator of all things. He's the one who knows us best. He's the one who knows what's good for us. It, it's back to the parent-child illustration, right? Your kid comes to you and says, well, please give me that candy. You're going to say, you've already had a piece of candy today. They come in and they're like, Donuts! And they want six more. You know you can't give them six more. Because then there's none for me to eat. (laughs) But the reality is you as a parent, you know it's not good for you, little Jimmy, to have six donuts. You can't. And it's the same way with us. We can trust our Father in heaven with the good gifts that he gives to us because he knows so much better than we do. He knows exactly what we need. And he's going to give us what we need. He's not going to give us a snake. He's not going to give us a stone. And so when we walk through life and we struggle with these different things that we're asking God for, we're begging him to change our hearts or begging him to change circumstances or whatever it is, we tend to think we know what's good. We know what's best. But God himself is the one who knows truly what his children need. And because of this, we can have absolute certainty that we have a good giver. Because our good giver, God himself, gave us himself. He gave us the greatest gift. He gave us life. He gave us Jesus. He saved us from sin. He gave us the Holy Spirit. We can trust him because he gives us exactly what we need, which is him. Which is him for all of eternity. And so if you've been asking God and wrestling with him, with this sin that's in your life or things that you want to continue, if you want to be more in awe of him, if you're struggling because you're like, I don't really have a desire to spend time in your word. I don't have a desire to spend time in prayer. I don't have a desire to really be around you, Jesus, right now. I feel, I feel like I want to be distant from you, God. I feel like I just want to keep living in this sin, Lord. I'm frustrated that you haven't taken this away from me, God. He says, ask, seek, and knock. None of those are passive. All of those are active. It's not like it's just going to fall right into our laps. Jesus is saying, persist in these things. Keep asking me for the kingdom of God. Keep knocking on the door and it will be opened for you. And we can trust that the timing is his. Now, if it's things of the world that we think are good, that we're pursuing and asking and seeking and knocking, that's a different story. 
But Jesus here is talking about the kingdom of God, not about the physical things of this world that we maybe want. And we have a good giver who gave his life for us, who we could absolutely trust with everything. He's given us what we need. And this is how good God is. He didn't just give us salvation, but post-salvation, he continues to give us great things. Does he not? I have breath in my lungs today. And so do you. We have a place where we can worship Jesus freely. We can sing songs to him. He moves He's living and active in this world as we continue to see him do things in our life. He not only just gave us the greatest gift we needed when we were saved, but he continues to give us even greater gifts as we live and we continue to see him. Of course, the God of the universe wants to give us good gifts. And of course, he is so much greater than we could ever think of. We can trust him and hand it over to him. Think of uh, right after the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 8. The first story we get is Jesus walks down from the mountain. The sermon's kind of over. It wraps up, and a leper comes in, someone who's been shunned, pushed away, who's called. No one else wants to be around him. He gets on his knees and begs the king of kings, Lord, if it's your will, I know that you can make me clean. Do you see what the leper does there? He says, if it's your will, I know that you can make me clean. That's the trust that God is asking for us to have as we go to him, as we beg him to continue to do things in our life, to trust that it's, if it's his will, we know that he could make us clean. That's the good father who gives us great gifts. So what does it mean for us in our relationships around us then? What's it mean for us and how we interact with each other? How does that actually change the way we talk to one another? Keep reading, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Again, in verse 12, Jesus gives us a therefore. So we ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? And as I sit with this passage and as I'm studying and thinking about, hey, what is the therefore? Is he pointing directly right above us? Is he pointing to something a couple of verses ago? What is Jesus trying to point us towards with verse 12? How, do, how does it make sense? It feels like it's a little off. It, uh, I don't know if it flows together. What is he really pointing us towards? And I think the very end of it, right? The law and the prophets. When's the last time Jesus used that language? Flip back to chapter 5. Verse 17, when he's talking about the law, he says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. So as we consider the Sermon on the Mount, as we consider how we interact with people in our relationships and the golden rule, I, it almost feels like Jesus is topping and tailing the sermon here. Like he's saying, hey, towards the beginning, the law and the prophets, and here he's got it towards the end, the law and the prophets. And so as we consider verse 12, it almost... It, is clear to us that Jesus is trying to say, this is the law and the prophets. That how we interact with each other, our relationships with one another, as we keep pursuing Jesus, as we seek first the kingdom of God, it changes how we interact with each other. There's a whole section that, that just hammers over and over again how we respond to our relationships with other people. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, do unto others as you want done to you. And in light of this whole sermon, it makes us 
think, okay, the law of the prophets, what does that mean? Okay, we've got like the short illustration there in chapter five, and we think back to the Ten Commandments, and we go, okay, law and the prophets, I think of the law, and you, if you look at the Ten Commandments, you go, okay, the first four actually have to do with a vertical relationship with you and God. The second six have to do with our relationships to each other, our relationships to one another. And again, Jesus just keeps repeating himself over and over again, because when uh, the people ask him, Lord, which of the commandments is the most important one? Which one's the most important one? Jesus says to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that the same thing? He just takes the 10 and he shrinks them into two. Same exact thing. And here Jesus over again says, to love the Lord, but also to love your neighbor, to do unto them as you want to be done to you. You think of the Sermon on the Mount, you read all those verses, you go, that's exactly how I would want to be treated. If someone mad at me, I want to have a, I'd, I'd love it to have a conversation with them about it. Not to have a screaming match at each other, but just to figure it out. Oh, yeah, if, if we're struggling with whatever it is, I'd love to be able to have a humble conversation with my brother or sister if they need to point out some sin in my life. Of course we would want that. And so Jesus is drawing this out for us that this golden rule is something that we seriously want, but it's something that we can't do. It's something that we fail at living out all the time because we choose ourselves over other people. We want much more for us. We want nothing for them at different times. And the good news behind it all is when we look at Jesus's life, he did it perfectly. He himself was the perfect one who treated others as we are supposed to. Never did he respond in a way that was not loving to people. But we don't live live that way. But Jesus himself still loves us, still pursues us, still gave his life for us. That while we've fallen short, while we've sinned, rebelled, and, and been sinful towards our brothers and sisters, while we couldn't fulfill the law and the prophets at all, we have a great Savior who does. And we realize our need for a Savior in those moments. We realize uh, we need Jesus himself as our Savior. He's the one who defeated sin. He's the one who's defeated death. He's the risen King who continues who will come back again for us. He's the one who paid the price for our death, the death that we deserve so that we could have everlasting life with him. And there's nothing that we have to do to try to earn it from him. That it's a free gift for us. If we ask and we seek and we knock, it is freely given to us. We may not be able to live out the Sermon on the Mount perfectly because of our sin, but there's good news because Jesus continues to transform us. Jesus continues to be at work in our hearts so that we can live out that golden rule of doing unto others as we want done to us, right? If you flip forward to Luke chapter 11, where Jesus is teaching the same thing, ask, seek, knock, Luke 11, he's teaching the same exact thing. Uh, Jesus says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So when we think of this golden rule, 
we, we miss out on what Jesus is truly trying to do. He's changing us. He's transforming us. He's pointing us towards the kingdom of God because in receiving the Holy Spirit, that's the gift that changes us because heaven breaks into us in those moments. That's what continues to transform us as we ask him to live among us, to, to continue to change our hearts, to make us new, to create a clean heart in us over and over again, Lord. The Spirit dwells within us to continue to walk towards Him. It's, it's not a rule of life that we have to do these things in order to get heaven, but in doing these things, it's evidence of heaven being here. It, it, evidence of the kingdom of God actually breaking into the world. And it's living this changed life that shows that God actually got into us, that He changed us, and that He's continued to change others. So Jesus says, hey, do unto others as you want to be treated. This is the law and the prophets. Over and over again, we know and we see we can't live it out perfectly. But by faith in Jesus, by trust in Jesus, we could be made new. We could be transformed by asking and seeking and knocking for the kingdom of God, that he would change us and rid us of our sin or move us towards him so that we'd be more in on him, more in love with him, continue to walk towards Jesus. That's a guaranteed gift that he's going to give to us. I was eagerly waiting for those little kids to just come and get a Reese's. How much more is our Father in heaven eagerly waiting for us to go to him? Ask, seek, and knock. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the words that you gave to us and the reality that we can see we have a guaranteed gift. That you came down from heaven humbly to walk among us, to give your life for us, hung on a cross, murdered. But it didn't stop there that you defeated sin and death, that you rose on the third day, and that we could have everlasting life with you. God, I thank you for the gift of salvation. I thank you for the gift of the kingdom of God. I thank you for the fact that you joyfully hear our prayers this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us trust you. I pray that uh, you would help us see that you're not holding out from us. I pray that you would help our hearts truly see that you're a good God who desires uh, to just be in intimate relationship with us, Lord. I pray that you would continue to reveal your glory to us, that we would seek your face, that we would seek your kingdom, Lord. I pray for whatever it is that's going on inside of our hearts, whatever sin that we're wrestling with or whatever uh, we're struggling with, whether it's a desire to not spend time with you in your word or prayer or, or struggling with anger towards a brother or sister or wrestling with just being frustrated at some certain set of circumstances right before our eyes that we would go to you and that we would seek you, that we would ask, Lord, that you would open the door for us and that you would give us clarity on whatever it is. God, would we trust 
that we could seek after your kingdom and go to you and that you give us a guaranteed gift each and every time that you were there, you were present, and you were with us and that you care for us.